Welcome to Science Night, presented by the River Power Podcast Mill. Hey everyone, we are back with another episode of the Science Night Podcast. And I know it was a little late, but I was trying to record while construction was going on just outside my house and it just was not going to happen. So I figured I would push everything back a little bit, but have an episode that you can actually hear. So with that, this episode is going to be the follow-up from our interview with Emily Cooper. And I know that was like a month ago, so a quick refresher. She is a vision scientist, and this episode is going to focus on binocular vision. And the first thing you're going to notice is that it is quite a bit shorter than most episodes are. So here's the thing about talking about vision in an audio-only format. It's really difficult to not be able to like gesture to something with my hands or show you an image to, to go along with this. So we are going to focus on vision and binocular vision in this episode like I promised, but I'm going to I am going to lean heavily on our website's show notes and links section for this episode. So listen to this for a quick primer on vision. And then head over to Cyanite.com, where I'm going to have lots of videos and links that can maybe a little bit better demonstrate this point. So, without further gilding of the lily, here is our episode on binocular vision. Like I said in the intro, this is an episode focusing on a specific type of vision. But... Before we can do that, you know, we really should cover some of the basics of the human visual system and how it allows us to take in the world around us so that when we talk about specifically binocular vision, you have kind of an idea of what is going on. It's easy to think that when we look at something like a male blue jay, we're taking in that object. But what you're actually seeing is the light that the object is reflecting into our eyes. But let's take that another step and ask, what is light? Well, I'm going to tell you, sort of. Light is electromagnetic radiation made of tiny particles called photons. This radiation comes in lots of different wavelengths like x-rays, ultraviolet, and if you are Dr. Bruce Banner, you're very comfortable with the concept of gamma rays. All of these are in the wavelengths that we as humans cannot see, but there's like tons of animals that can see in these wavelengths, and we're not going to talk about them, but head over to the website cyanite.com and I will make sure to link to things that will just blow your mind. Now, the differences in these wavelengths within the spectrum are how we perceive color. And these photons bounce off that male blue jay I talked about a while back, and they pass through the opening in our eye called the pupil. Now, that pupil is opened and closed 
by the iris. Just like the iris in a camera opens and closes to change the exposure, the iris opens and closes the pupil to change how much light goes through. That's why when it's really dark out, your pupils get really big, and when it's really bright out, your pupils get really small. Unless you go to the eye doctor and they dilate your pupils once a year, just like mine does, and you just spend the rest of your day squinting until that wears off. Pro tip, if you schedule this for the winter and it's not super snowy, you'll get a lot less of that irritation from bright lights while your pupils are dilated. Now light goes through the pupil and it's focused by a kind of fibrous structure and that's called a lens. And that focuses the light onto the back of our eye where these specialized cells that can turn that photon into a signal that our brain can interpret. Now we call these photoreceptors and there are two main kinds rods and cones. There are also some specialized light sensitive ganglia that we are not going to cover and we will probably never cover in this podcast, but it's really cool and maybe there'll be a link to something you can read about on the website. Again, cyanite.com. There is a whole podcast we could do just about this part of the eye where the photoreceptors live. But the most basic thing you need to know is that the rods are important for low light vision and the cones provide us with color vision. And there are three type of cones in most humans, red, green, and blue. And I say most humans because if you're colorblind, you lack one of these uh, types of cones. So you might lack the uh, green pigment or you might lack the blue pigment and there's different kinds of color blindness that will tell you kind of what exactly you are missing and if you'll remember back to our angiosperm coevolutionary podcast episode and if you haven't listened to it you should go stop right now pause go back and listen to it it's really good i put a lot of time into it so you'll really enjoy it i hope but you'll remember that i talked about how important the perception and of red is to primates. Now part of the evidence for this lies in how densely packed the human eye is with red cones. And it's specifically densely packed in the area of our eye called the fovea centralis. This is where the focal point of our visual field is. And if you look at um, like an eye tracking app or something like that, it's actually pretty much tracking where the fovea is looking at and it's where you see a focused vision within your visual field and it is uh, packed with red cones in fact 60 percent of the average human's eye that can perceive color vision perceives red take that in 60 percent of the energy that we are putting in to perceive color is taken up with the perception of the color red. So there has to be something way back in the evolutionary lineage of primates that makes this super important. And again, listen to that angiosperm co-evolutionary hypothesis episode to find out what that might be. Now, when photons trigger these cells, both the rods and the cones, they send that information all the way to the back 
of your brain in an area called the occipital lobe, where it's analyzed and in concert with other parts of the brain, specifically like the temporal lobe and the parietal lobe, and, and really like a large portion of the brain, you start to build an image. Now, the reason that you see stars when you get hit in the back of your head is because the primary visual cortex is located back there. Now, don't try this at home. I'm just trying to let you know why these things are happening when things happen to you. Now, I said this was going to be a brief primer on vision, and we have covered vision. You are now not an expert in vision. But if you want to know way more about how the visual system in humans and other animals works, again, go over to our website. I'll have lots of links for you. So let's talk about binocular vision. Every animal with more than one eye has some degree of binocular vision, and that is the area where the eyes are, are seeing overlap. And in primates, carnivorous mammals, and raptors, like the modern bird of prey type, not the Jurassic Park kind. We're going to talk about that in another podcast. Stay tuned for more information on that. Most humans have two eyes. And that's like, that's a good thing. Humans that have two eyes also have them situated toward the front of their face, which is called frontated vision. This allows the area that each eye takes in to overlap quite a bit. And that means that each eye is basically seeing the same thing with a bit extra on the periphery. The downside is that we have a very narrow field of view. Basically, you can only see where your head is pointed. And that's different from something like a cow or a deer where their eyes are more located on the side of their head. They can see a, a much wider field of view, but not a lot of that visual field overlaps. And I'm gonna tell you why that is important. Having a high degree of overlap of your visual field provides you with incredible depth perception. And you'll hear that humans are generalists. And that is true. But one thing we can do extremely well is track things over a distance. It's because we can move our head independently of our body and that we have the ability to move both of our eyes with extreme precision and have a high degree of depth perception to look at something go over a distance. Now, since our eyes are on different parts of our face, there needs to be some things that happen to make sure this whole system kind of works well. There are six muscles that control the position of our eye, and they are incredibly precise and sensitive. All of the nerves that control them come directly from the brain, rather than passing through the spinal cord. That means that information can travel to them and from them incredibly fast. We also have a combination of voluntary and involuntary control over our eyes. And that means that you can choose to look at something. We can move our head in a direction, we can move our eyes in a direction, but to maintain focus in that visual field, they continue to rapidly move and it's like imperceptible. And again, if you look at an eye tracker, you'll an eye tracking device, you'll see just how quickly our eyes maintain focus on a visual field. And you can test this at home pretty simply. Maintain focus on a single point 
and slowly move your head around. You'll notice that as your head moves, your eyes will stay basically in the same place without you having to really think about it. Now, as you can guess, there's plenty that can go wrong with this system. But the coolest part is the brain. When something causes your eyes to move out of sync, it'll be incredibly noticeable at first. You'll lose focus, you'll probably have like some degree of double vision, but over time, your brain can actually correct to this to a degree. I mean, if it's an extreme case, there's only so much the brain can do. But no matter what happens, if you start to see double vision or you start to lose focus, you should go see a doctor immediately. Don't take my word for it that your brain is going to knit everything together nicely. Just go see a doctor. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about, and I said this was going to be a short one, is binocular rivalry and binocular disparity. Both of these phenomena are ways of taking advantage that while our visual system has quite a bit of overlap, they are fairly, the eyes are fairly independent. This is, of course, a huge, huge oversimplification of the visual system. You can get a PhD or an MD in 20 different things that we talked about tonight. So please don't think that listening to this one podcast by a buffoon like me is going to make you an expert on the visual field. But again, head over to the website and we'll have lots of cool things for you to look at. Now... Since we have two eyes, we can do interesting things to basically fool our brain, like presenting each eye with different images, or having each eye see an object at a slightly different angle. This sort of hacking the system is the foundation of everything from certain optical illusions to 3D movies, and I'm not going to get super in-depth with this phenomenon. In fact, I have less than a sentence left on my notes to talk about. But I thought it was at least worth mentioning that these phenomenon exist because it is extremely important to people who are studying applications of augmented reality and VR reality, virtual reality. Why did I, why did I say VR reality? Yeah, it doesn't matter. People like Dr. Emily Cooper this is this is like their their area. They are figuring out how the eyes can see things independently and how the brain kind of makes everything nice and put together. And also ways to avoid overstressing the eyes or the brain when uh, two different images are presented to each eye, or at least, two slightly different images. So all of that is super fascinating and way above my ability to perceive and kind of digest in a short amount of time. I hope you found this extremely brief look at binocular binocular vision interesting. And if it felt like I was glossing over a lot of things, I was. Like I said... You can spend your entire career studying each parts of today's episode, like our guest Emily Cooper has done. And if you want to know more, like I said, 
head over to SciNight.com where I'm going to have links to articles, videos, and, you know, you've gotten this far in this episode and in this podcast, so I'm going to throw some fun optical illusions and kind of things that you can do at home on that page as well. So remember, SciNight.com. Thank you so much for getting to the end of this episode and listening to the Science Night podcast. As always, I have to thank all of the brave creators over at the River Power Podcast Mill. Go over and check in, check out the latest episode of Pulp from the Beyond the Veil, where they do kind of a radio play of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe short story, The Cask of Amontillado. It is so, so good. Go over Download it now. Download it on every device you have so that you will not miss it no matter where you are. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this, especially Apple Podcasts. Let's get those numbers up and let's grow this audience and this community even more. You can find all of the links to our social media at Cynite.com. You will find all kinds of cool stuff on this episode's page at the website and also, stay tuned, because me and the guys over at River Power had a really cool meeting, and there are a lot of exciting things happening, including including a potential spinoff from this very podcast with one of our previous interview guests. So again, check the website, check our socials, we will have an announcement very soon. I am so excited for this. I hope, I know, I know that everyone listening to this will enjoy this podcast. So keep checking up. We will have more. I will be back in one week. I'm not going to make you wait two more weeks where I will interview Dr. Patrick Gothier. Thanks for listening and have a great night.